Leave behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Bear your cross and you wait for your crown Tell the world of the treasure you found Jesus is calling Praise the Lord, Grace and Truth Church. This is Pastor Will coming to you from my tree house, my office here in my my home, call it our tree house because we've got two windows and when you open them up, you've got a couple of beautiful oak trees out there and just sit here and just fellowship with the Lord and just praying for all of you this morning, everyone who hears this message, let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. It's raining, Lord, and we just thank you for the rain causes everything to grow. I was just thinking April showers bring May flowers and we just thank you Lord for the amazing Father that you are. We love you and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the anointing that rests on your servant and for on your word and I just ask that you use me today Lord to help everyone who hears this message. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ Jesus our King and so we thank you, Father, for helping us to receive it with joy and allow it to take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, this is, I don't know how many weeks now, on the, uh, on the uh, stay-at-home uh, order uh, because of the COVID-19 uh, uh, epidemic, but... We just rebuke that thing in the name of Jesus, and we know that uh, it's going to end as quickly as it, as it started, and I'm really optimistic that that's coming very soon, as soon as next week is, is what I believe, and uh, there's a lot of things that I believe about this, but uh, we are excited that uh, things are looking up, and uh, we are praying for all of you, and we love you, and we bless you. And we just are always believing and praying blessings over all of you at Grace and Truth Church and over everyone who hears this message. Well, last week was Resurrection Sunday, and so I want to continue on with the effects of that event, um, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, not only his life, but his death, his burial, the cross, the, the the resurrection uh, and his enthronement and what that means to us. 
And so I want to talk to you a little bit today about, um, I guess, what I, what's on my heart is that uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And what does that mean uh, for us to pray for God's will to be on earth as it is in heaven and, and what that looks like? Well, we've been talking a lot about Isaiah 53, which is a beautiful picture, very graphic and very detailed placed by the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant 700 years before Christ was crucified about the events of that time. And the first scripture of Isaiah 53, I won't go there, but I just want to remind you that the Holy Spirit warns us against unbelief. He says, who has believed our message? Unbelief is the biggest hindrance in the life of a Christian and of the entire world. We must believe. Without, without faith... It's impossible to please God. And unbelief is is like playing a spiritual tug of war with everything that we're trying to stand in faith for. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand, and we know that we need understanding. And Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So, if we need faith, we need to hear the word of Christ, the message about Jesus, which we're focusing on, to gain that understanding, which will help us in every way, and the revelation knowledge that um, helps and brings us closer uh, in our relationship with the Lord. I just want to read a little bit. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read the first um, few verses here, starting in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, that's all of us, you or we, were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We know that's Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incom incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are Christ's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Praise be to God. Verse 6 there says, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. This is something that the entire world and all Christians need to realize. That no matter how good you have lived, this has no difference, no bearing with God. All of our righteous acts are as filthy rags compared to God and His holiness. 
So ever since Adam sinned in the garden, we all had that corrupted seed, that sin nature, and we were fallen and we were doomed without, without a Savior. We needed Jesus to come and identify with us so that we could once again be brought into relationship with God. And he has done that through his life and burial and death and resurrection through the cross. Verses 12 and 13 of that same passage of scripture, Ephesians 2 verses 12 and 13. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That is a very sobering passage of Scripture. Verse 13, here's the good news. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We were without hope and without God. What a desperate situation in the world. That's everyone who was ever born apart from Christ. But now we've been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. One drop of his blood is more powerful than anything in creation. So how does this affect our daily lives? How should it affect our daily lives? First of all, what was the exchange? We talked about all the different exchanges of the cross last week. He was substitutionary for us. In other words, Jesus stepped in and took our place in the electric chair on the hangman's noose. He stepped up as an innocent man, and took our place on death row. And what did that accomplish? It was all substitutionary because it wasn't it wasn't anything to do with his own sin that he suffered and died. It was for ours. And for every aspect of that time period in his whole life, there were substitutionary exchanges made. And I listed those last week, and I wanted to list a few scriptures here just to help you to identify now with Christ and in Christ and who we truly are and what our, our true identity. The, the entire church seemingly suffers from this huge identity crisis. Not the entire church, but an overwhelming majority of what calls itself the church of Jesus Christ suffers from this huge identity crisis. They uh, associate and identify themselves more with the world and the wisdom of the world than they do with God and Jesus. But I just want to remind you through a few scriptures here. Romans 3.24 says, We are justified, declared not guilty, justified just as if I'd never sinned. That's what has happened through the atonement, through accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation awaiting you. Because you've chosen Jesus. The next verse in Romans 8 verse 2 says we're set free from the law of sin and death. There was a law. There was a a compelling law working within your members, in your body. This sin nature, this evil concupiscence or overwhelming desire to do evil. It was there because you had the sin nature of the devil. He was our father actually until we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so when we said the devil made me do it, some of that stuff in the old days, he did. Or he compelled us to. And now we've been freed from that. There's nothing compelling us or making us sin. We have a choice now. That's good news. That's good news for people that struggle with addictions, that that struggle with sexual sin, that struggle with all sorts of problems in this life. Whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional, Now we're set free from all those things 
if we only believe and receive what God says as opposed to what the world says, what the doctor says, what the banker says, the symptoms that our body is, are telling us. We need to speak to those things instead of them speaking to us. 1 Corinthians 1-2 says that we are sanctified and made acceptable in Christ. Sanctified, that means to be set apart, made holy unto God. 1 Corinthians 1-30, we are righteous and holy in Christ. When you were, you were created, were recreated, when you were born again, the old man died representative and when we went down into baptism we that's, that's a picture of us being buried with Christ and raising up into new life and that new life we are created righteous and holy in Christ first Corinthians 15:22 says we will be made alive at the resurrection well I'm saying we are alive now we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places what does that mean in that particular scripture he's talking about those who have heard the message and believed but he says you have to continue believing all the way to the end. You have to press on. This is not a 50-yard dash. This is a marathon. And we have to believe all the way into the end. Jesus says, when I return, will I even find faith in the earth? And we want to say, yes, Jesus, Lord, you will with your help, with your help, Holy Spirit. Keep us on track. The Second Corinthians 5.17 talks about the fact that we are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So you're a brand new creation in your spirit. You have been renewed. You have the mind of Christ, the spirit of God living on the inside of you. Your spirit has been regenerated and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And Galatians 3.28 says we are one in Christ with all other believers. This is something that believers need to pay attention to. It is imperative that we associate with and identify with the church, the true body of Christ. I don't like this one, or I don't like that one, or this group, or that group. Some of them may not even be part of the real church anymore. There's been such a division and a breaking or falling away. But the fact is, God is the one that's going to do all the sorting in the end. And until then, we're all to grow together. We're supposed to love everyone, but we're supposed to show favoritism, especially to the household of God. That's what the Bible says. When Jesus was preaching one time, and I think things were heating up in, in that environment politically, and, and all the religious leaders, they were out to kill him. And he was preaching one day, and, and I think his, his family, his mother and brother, brothers and sisters were concerned for his welfare, well-being. Maybe they thought he was losing it a little bit. They went to get him. The people uh, came inside. There was a crowd there, and they said that your your mother and brothers and sisters are here to get you. And he said, "Who who are my mother and brothers and sisters? Those who hear the word of God and do it." Not that he dispossessed his real family. Of course, he did not. He loved them. But what he was saying. The greater thing is the family that we have in heaven, the family of believers, the ones we will be with for all eternity. And that's a sobering message, but it's the truth. We're one with Christ and with all other believers. So we need to get that right and not let there be divisions and unforgiveness, etc. between all of us. Ephesians 1.3 says that, since we're born again because of the atonement, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's not going to be blessed. It's a past tense thing. God has provided for everything that we need by the grace of God through the atonement in Christ. 
And we are holy and blameless and covered with God's love. That's what it says in Ephesians 1, 4. And then verses 5, 6 says that we have been adopted as God's children. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Can you even fathom that? I always talk to you and tell you that God loves you and he's got your picture in his wallet. I want you to think of him that way because that's the truth. That's a very wonderful blessing to, I know my wife and me, we, we both grew up in broken homes. My wife, she knew her natural, she had a good stepfather, but she only knew her natural father uh, briefly. Uh, She met him when she was in her late teens and met him briefly before he passed. As for me, I never, I still don't even know who mine was. So when I heard that I had a father in heaven who loved me and wanted to bring me into his family and loved me and adopted me, That was uh, the most touching revelation in my life. And it brought me to my knees and I've never forgotten it. And I love him and he's the best father I could ever hope for. So praise God, we are blessed. And we don't have to identify with the things that we come from or the things we come through. We are children of God now. We are a new creation. All that old stuff is gone and all the new has come and it is good. Our sins are taken away. We're forgiven, Ephesians 1, 7. So we are marked as belonging to to God by the the, the the Holy Spirit and then sealed. It's Ephesians 1.13. The, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit until until he comes. And we've been raised up. We, we're sitting now with Christ in glory. Ephesians 2.10, I just read, we are God's work of art. His masterpiece, his work of art. That's a beautiful thought as well. We've been brought near to God. Someone who we were we were far apart. Now we've been brought near. We Ephesians 2.13. And we can run right into the throne room of grace boldly, without any hesitancy, someplace where no one used to be able to go. They longed to be able to know God on a personal level, but they could only know him through a priest and the old covenant. Now... We have personal relationship with our Father in heaven through our Lord Jesus Christ and the agency of the Holy Spirit. And we share in all the promises of God. All the promises in Christ are yes and amen for us because we've we've chosen Jesus. These are just a few of the wonderful things. We're members of Christ's body, the church. We've been given fullness in Christ. Uh, we're set free from our sin nature. That's what I just talked about. Colossians 2.11 and 2 Timothy 2.10 says we have eternal glory. Those are just a few of the scriptures that sort of point out our true identity, our new identity in Christ. And I just wanted to list those things just to remind us or bring to remembrance. It's good to remember all that Christ has done for us, just like it is good to have a remembrance of the track record of faithfulness that God has had in our life. It's good to write down your prayers. And then I know some people have viral notebooks and they have stacks of them and they go back and whenever times are tough or they're going through certain challenges or trials in their life and they'll go back and they'll pull one of those spiral notebooks out of the things they wrote down that God had done in their lives, the prayers that they submitted, and they'll see that all of those prayers had come to pass and had been granted, and, and then God had blessed them in every way. And, and it builds their faith up, and pretty soon they sort of preach themselves happy by way of remembering and speaking all the wonderful things that God has done for them. He's faithful even when we're not. John 
chapter 20. Turn over there, if you're tracking with me through the scriptures, John chapter 20, verses 19 and 22. I want to talk to you a little bit about what does this all mean? How should it affect our daily lives? And does it? We've been talking so much about how Jesus identified with us and what it all meant and the divine exchange of the cross exchange is how we were blessed in every way. He became poor so we could be rich. He became the curse so we could have the blessing. He was separated from God so that we would never be separated again. By his stripes, we were healed. All these wonderful exchanges of the cross because he identified himself with us. He was willing to step down from his throne, come to earth and suffer such a terrible death and lay down his life for us. Now he's identified with us. Now, how do we identify with him and what should it, how should it be represented in our day-to-day lives? Let's look in John chapter 20. This is the day uh, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. John chapter 20, verses 19 and through 22. This is when Jesus appears to the disciples behind the locked doors. On the evening, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, With the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He would have said, Shalom, which is not just peace, but it's an overall total well-being and blessing of God. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side to prove to them that he was who he was. Remember what Thomas said, doubting Thomas, until I see the holes in his hands and his side, I won't believe. Well, he was there now, and he showed him. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful thing. What Jesus was doing was showing them that God had sent him, the Father had sent him to earth to do a task. He had a ministry, a life's goal, a task of things that he was to accomplish. God had a plan, and Jesus became the payment for that plan, and the Holy Spirit empowered that plan. Can you just picture yourself there that day? This is a a tragic time for these disciples. They were confused. They were afraid. They thought they were going to be next because they very well could have been killed um, right along with Jesus. And uh, a matter of fact, all of them were martyred uh, later on in, in their lives after they executed their ministry for quite a number of years. Different ones were Um, history tells us through Josephus and other writings that they were all martyred except for John and they tried to kill him and they put him in a boiling oil or some hot substance and uh, he just swam around in it like a refreshing bath but nevertheless Jesus came to them and the first thing he said was shalom peace be with you Two times he said this, and I'm sure sure that they needed that very much. The thing they were lacking at that time was peace. They probably had confusion and fear, and I'm sure that most of us, or all of us, would have had too. So the, the thing they needed most, he provided immediately, was that peace. The same peace that he had offered up as a gift on that faithful night at the Last Supper when he said in John 14, 27, Peace I give to you, my peace do I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In verse 22, Jesus was imparting to them through the Holy Spirit. 
his very life and nature. He was passing the torch to them. See, the Father had sent Jesus to do a task, and then he sent the disciples. And by, and, and by doing so, he sent us, because we're one with the entire church. So he sent those original disciples, and they passed it on to everyone who followed after them, all the way up to now, including you and me. So he sent us to fulfill a task as his representatives. Let's look back a few pages. Go to John chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. And I think this will kind of capture this and spell it out a little bit better for us. John chapter 14, verse starting in verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Oh, this is, uh, it makes me want to take off running. It's so exciting. I know I don't sound excited, but this is about as good as it gets. I'm not going to jump up and down and, and, uh, get too excited but believe me i'm very excited about this this is this is such a blessing this passage of scripture alone i could stand on this and it would take me all the way till i see the lord again just knowing these truths right here he's saying there's a few things that he's pointing out here jesus said if you've seen if, if you've seen me you've seen the father so the the first thing is jesus spoke only god's words he says that the things that I say, the words I say to you, they're not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So the Father was speaking through Jesus. He only spoke God's words. The next thing is Jesus only worked by the Father's power. It was God working through him. And it was in Jesus' life. When they, he told them, if you've seen the me, you've seen the Father. So, so everything he did was just God working in and through him. And he was the very image of our Father in heaven. Can you grasp this? Jesus was born as a man. He, he laid aside all of his, his kingly 
privileges in heaven and stepped down from his throne and became like us, born in a feeding trough. And the only thing that that empowered him to do the work of the ministry was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the same thing you have available to you to receive the Holy Spirit. And by that power and by that relationship, he learned about himself through the scriptures. He learned about himself through prayer and through relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And he only spoke God's words because he was here to do a job the Father had sent him to do. And he only worked by the power. It wasn't him. It was the Father, the the Holy Spirit working through him. And he was the image of our Creator. So then, how does that apply to us? So it's the same with us. So, just as it was not his words that he spoke, but what he had heard the Father say he spoke, same thing should go for us as Christians. And this is where most most of us... um, Lose a little ground, frankly, and uh, it's it's not to condemn us, but just to make us aware and to help us to go to the Father and, and go to Jesus and seek um, for help and guidance from the Holy Spirit. And that shouldn't be our words that we speak. It's, we should only be speaking the things that we hear from our Father, from the Holy Spirit, the unction that we have from the Holy Ghost, this knowing, this prompting, and it all should, everything we sh- we say should edify and build up, and that's where uh, I would say 100% of us probably uh, can just get off the bus right there, but we don't have to. We just repent. We just turn around and, and agree with God in, in, in that particular area of our life and ask Him for assistance, but our words should be the words of Christ. We should, everything we say should should honor him and 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 build up the 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 people who hear the words that we say and not tear them down and 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 be of assistance so we should speak what god says and if we would do this we would see we would be framing a much better future for ourselves instead of agreeing with the the medical doctors and the bankers and the and the naysayers and the people who have the wisdom of the world, we should be speaking what God says about every situation in our life, remembering that all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Where are we going to find those promises? In the Word. And the next thing is that it's not us. It's not our own power. We don't have to be exhausted trying to do the work of the ministry. And believe me, just because I'm the pastor, you are to do the work of the ministry. I'm, I'm just here. It's, it's my blessing, my honor and privilege and calling to be able to help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and to help build you up for the work of the ministry. You're to do the work of the ministry. And how is that? Again, it's not in your own strength and not in your own power. You can rest and work from a position of rest, knowing that it is Jesus who is working in you. And the last thing is that, as Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. We should, as we grow and mature in Christ, be able to say that seeing us is seeing Jesus. And if that hasn't become more and more apparent over your uh, life, whether it's brief, uh, I mean your Christian life, (laughs) whether it's been brief, whether you're new, whether you're still just looking in the window to see if this is for you, to see if it's real, to see if it's a scam or whatever, or if you've been uh, at this for a little while, or if you've been at it for your whole life, 
there should be a, a, a distinct difference from the time you started to the time uh, from day to day and from month to month and from year to year. You should, there should be growth. There should be fruit. And fruit, um, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that, and they listed in Galatians 5, always has to do with our character. And that is we should be coming more and more Christ, Christ-like, uh, glory to glory to glory. Um, and so at some point... Uh, you know, you should have those times in your life when people look at you and they they look at you and they take a double take and it's not because uh, deja vu or they've seen you somewhere before, but there's something different about you. There's something special about you, and what they're seeing in you is is the Christ in you, and you sh- you should have this happen from time to time. See, but the beautiful thing about all of those aspects—not our words, but His words. Um, not our work, his work, and, and it's not us, but him that should be visible. The burden is all on him. It's all Jesus' burden, and that's a wonderful thing. It's peace, it's rest, it's, it's all by grace. Praise God. I hope that that's making an impression upon you. I, it's hard when I can't see people's faces. I usually am scanning the... <laughs> the room looking for faith and uh, that's what inspires me and and keeps me going and that's when I know God is speaking to someone or to several or to all but I just hope that you're getting this it's um, it's quite different just speaking to um, a recording device and looking out my window into the treehouse here uh, into the not the treehouse sitting in my treehouse what I call my office up here into the the rain and the trees uh, outside such a wonderful day look at second corinthians and we'll take this a little bit further second corinthians everyone's familiar with uh, 517 talks about the fact that we're new creation in christ turn over there briefly and i'll talk to you a little bit more about this and i think it'll bless you um, may not be the most exciting orator in the world, but the facts, the truth of God's word and what I'm trying to share with you is very compelling, very life-changing if you allow it, if you will meditate on these truths and allow them to take root, they will bear fruit effortlessly in your life. Second Corinthians 5, starting at verse 17, and I'll read down to 21. Uh, let's see, one page off here. Second Corinthians five, seventeen, which most of you are familiar with. Therefore, <clears throat> let me back up and see what that therefore is. Therefore, so now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Look at that. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What does that mean? When Christ was on the earth, they saw him as a man. They saw him in human form. Now that they saw him crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and walked amongst them for 40 days, and then ascended into heaven, they don't think of him as a man anymore. Not in a worldly way. They think of him 
as having become a man for us. And so he's still in every way a man and every way God. They see him as king of kings and lord of lords. And they don't think of him as someone on their level as a, just a human being anymore. Verse 17, therefore, because of that, if, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So we shouldn't even think of ourselves after the flesh anymore. We should see, learn to see each other after the spirit, which is how God sees us. We are spirit, and that spirit has been perfected, and it is just like Christ, just like our Father in heaven, just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our soulish realm is becoming renewed as we agree with what we have become. We agree with the exchanges made at the cross and through Jesus' life for us. So, we become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here we go. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to you, to me, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. That's a good place to shout right there. And I hope if you are alone or in your car or in your living room, that you are just praising God and thanking him for everything he's done right there. And if you've got someone to believe and agree with, just reach out your hand and grab hands and say, we believe you, Lord. Help our unbelief and just make this revelation knowledge in our lives so we can walk in greater victory in, in this life, it just which is what he wants. It's, it's his d desire that we all be in good health and prosper in every way, even as our souls prosper. So what does that mean? Why is there a... a what it, What is the uh, correlation with the soulish realm? Well, we'll keep talking here for just a, a minute, and then I'll close out. In 2 Corinthians, what we just read, though, talks about the new man. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about. On earth as it is in heaven. How does this look? What does this mean for us? What does the divine exchange mean? He, he became like us. Now, how do we become like him? And And how do we walk it out? And what is the effect of that? Well... We now have this ministry of reconciliation. We are now God's, our Jesus representatives, just as the Father sent Jesus as his representative and he empowered him and spoke through him and worked through him. And Jesus looked like him and does look like him. Now we are Jesus representatives. We're his ambassadors here in the earth. And what does an ambassador of a country do when he goes to another country? Well, it's hard to say these days, but they're supposed to go and they don't express their own desires and wishes and, and thoughts and wisdom upon this other nation where they are representing uh, the United States. They're supposed to be representatives of our, of our constitution and of our president and our, uh, um, and our uh, plans and uh, policies, etc., etc. And so it is with us. We're supposed to be representative of Jesus and our Father's plans and provision 
And the fact is, our old man, which is dead and was dead in, in sins and trespasses, which has passed away, was crucified with Christ, that old man has no message, had no message of reconciliation, no message to offer. We have to be a new man to have a message of truth uh, from God. We have to be born again. We have to be a new creation. So first things first, the world has nothing to offer. There's a, the, the, the word of God is what works in our minds and, our, and in our life as light. And it does in the natural what no one can understand it by because it's spiritual. Psalm 119, 130 talks about the fact that the entrance of your word, Father, gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Man's separation from God left him in darkness. And the entrance of God's word is like a like a piercing ray of light. I've described it for like like a like a sunset after a dark night and and it and it it shows us the true character and nature of people and things and when we're in darkness we really just don't have what we don't have that we don't know what we're dealing with we don't know who we're dealing with we only have the wisdom of the world and it's always going to mislead us and distract us so there's a true distinction in the true in the real real wisdom or the real understanding of god and besides education, the education will only take us so far. It can't take us into the spiritual realm. So education shouldn't be our God. We have to have the wisdom of God. Most of the trouble in the world is really being caused by people who are educated but don't have God. You can be very educated and still be very foolish. As a matter of fact, if you don't have God, you are. Because the beginning of knowledge and wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And if you don't have a reverence and an awe and relationship with God, you don't even have the ability to understand and comprehend the things of God, which is the only real truth. It's not within man to direct his own steps. We'll foul it up every time. So an educated mind is sort of like a sharp knife. You can do a lot of good things with it. But also a lot of evil can come through it. The knife is just a tool, but it takes wisdom to put it to its proper use. I think I've quoted before, Teddy Roosevelt said, if a man is a thief, he can he might steal a railroad car, but if you educate that same man, he, he'll steal the whole railroad. Well, the flip side of that coin is, if a man is a thief, he may steal a railroad car or the whole railroad, but if you take that same thief and you... You preach to him the gospel of Jesus Christ and he receives it with joy and and is born again. Then you can take that thief and he is no longer a thief. That thief will die and then a new man will arise out of that, which is the best thing that can ever happen to anyone who doesn't know God. At one time, remember, we were just like them. We didn't know God and we were just being used however the devil decided but any person, the best thing that can happen to them is that God get a hold of them and change them. And not just change them. It's not about behavior modification, but exchange them. <laughs> and give them a new life. There's no substitute for the light of God's word. It's the only source 
of truth and, and love and real light, God's kind of love and, and the light that we need in our minds to shine light in the darkness. Nothing else is really going to help. So the old man is dead. We're reconciled to God. And now we partake of this divine exchange of the cross and we're delivered from our sins, from our sin nature. Then what? Now we help. Remember the acronym help, heal, empower, love, and prosper others with the same help that we've received from God. He he became like us and now our assignment from him that he gave us in, in John chapter 20 there is that that we become like him and that others benefit from that. We're Jesus' agents and reconcilers in this earth. We have a shared ministry with Jesus, even in heaven. See, these are things that the, the spiritual truths of, of the kingdom of God, it says that we're seated with, with Christ right now at the right hand of the Father. See, we're in Christ. That's why when, when, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You've probably heard me say many times, when God looks at you, he sees God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So he's looking at you in spirit. And so when he sees you, he either sees Adam or he sees Jesus, fallen man or his child. And that's, and that's great for all of us who uh, belong to Christ in truth and really have been born again because we belong to God. And now we have a shared ministry with Jesus. Look over in Revelations. The opening chapter of Revelations, quickly, and I'm almost done here. Praise the Lord. Revelations, I can keep going because no one has to get to lunch, you see. And you can pause this and start it again. <laughs> but I'm almost finished here. Oh, praise God. So Revelations, the opening chapter, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And whenever I say that, you know, I usually have to back up one. Yeah, let me just back up. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Who's that? Jesus Christ. And from the seven spirits before his throne. Who are the seven spirits before the throne of our Father in heaven? That's that's the Holy Spirit. That's a, you know, that's what the rainbow is a, is a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit, the seven colors of the rainbow. And you can see the different seven aspects of uh, the the natural order of things in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, starting in the second verse, I think. Anyway, from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn, why is he the firstborn? Because there was many to follow. You and I are, are also risen from the dead in Christ. He was the first. We came after him and now we are co-heirs with Christ and we are in him and firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth that's Jesus he is the ruler of the kings of the earth praise God so to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood verse 6 and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests. 
a kingdom of priests. And those are the two ministries of Jesus, now and forever. He has a kingdom, and we know what a king does. He rules, and he is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, without beginning and without end. And it, the Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing now? Making intercession for all of you who believe. He's, made, he's praying for us to the Father. Isn't that nice to know that that's Jesus' full-time job is to rule and to reign and to be our high priest. But we have also become kings and priests <coughs> under his influence. He's speaking through us. He's working through us. We're his hands and feet in the earth. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, not because he was tired, because he was finished. He handed over this new ministry to us, to the church, to believers. And now we're to do his bidding and not our own. Anytime we're speaking and our tongues are not, our mouths are not glorifying God, then there's error there. There's sin there. And we need to look at that and, and change that. And that's the hardest thing to do. If we can start right there, then the works that he has uh, created before the beginning of time for us to do will begin to take place and begin to take shape as we form our futures and our lives with our words, with his words being spoken through us. And we quit being deceived by the enemy into speaking the negative the doubt, the fear, the unbelief, the things that that the enemy is tricking us to do some creating for him. You see, because we're created beings. He is not. He has no authority except what the children of God give him. So let's don't give him any more. But last thing I want to read, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, talking about this ministry that we have. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Let me read this to you. My message and my preaching. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, talking to the church in Corinth. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Praise be to God. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Listen. This is what I was talking about a while ago. The wisdom of this world is not wisdom at all. It might sound good. It might look good. It's the best they can do based on science and philosophy and all the things that really point back to man and are opposed to God. If they don't glorify God in the end, if they don't point to Jesus and give him glory and honor and praise, they are not of God and they will mislead you and take you down a path that you don't want to go. The devil, that is his biggest trick, to put a little bit of truth. Sounds good. Come on, follow me. I got you. I'm my friend. I'm your friend. Follow me all the way out to the end of this limb on this tree. And then he leaves you hanging. He's going to take you further than you want to go. He's going to charge you more than you want to pay. And he's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. And the end is death. 
<clears throat> but this passage of scripture in Second Corinthians is talking about a hidden wisdom, a secret wisdom, hidden secret wisdom of God. What is that all about? That's a wonderful thing. Not if it's a hidden wisdom that's being hidden from you, but the, this is not. It's a, it's a wisdom that was hidden from the world and now is revealed to us in and through Christ. And first of all, I like that Paul says, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, it's not fancy. It's not complicated. I've known some ministers that felt like they, you know, you had to, it was like they were teaching you things that they were so hard to understand that you had to rely upon them to translate for you. And, and that's really uh, not the way it should be. It should be simple. The, it, once we pray about these things and meditate, if we have the Spirit of God, because then we have the mind of Christ inside of us bearing witness an unction from the Holy Ghost, as it were, and it should all make perfect sense once we meditate on it. And the things that we don't understand, believe me, there are lots of things in this Bible that I don't really get yet, but the things that I really seek God after when it, something is troubling me, I, I take that as a, an unction from the Holy Ghost to seek Him uh, about the truth and uh, revelation knowledge or understanding of the, these things, and, and then I get it. Once I seek Him and pray and say, Lord, I need to understand this. He will, he will show me. It will come to me. And I don't have to struggle and strive and pray and beg. I just ask him and then I keep meditating on it and then it will come into my mind. And that's how I've heard it uh, told from, from hundreds of ministers who indeed have revelation knowledge, who are born again, spirit-filled believers. So the gospel is simple, but it's spiritual. It's not carnal. It's not, it's not simple in the fact that the world can understand it like they think they know everything. They don't. It's spiritual, but it's easily understood if you are a Christian and you love God and you have the Spirit of God in you. It's a wisdom and a message about ruling this secret, this his, hidden wisdom of God is ours now in Christ. And this wisdom is designed to bring us up to the throne of Christ where we are seated with him and, and and until we have this revelation knowledge of this hidden wisdom of God we can't partake of all the things that he has for us we can't understand that we, even though we're here physically we are seated with Christ spiritually in heavenly places and the and the only way that we will ever understand this there's only one door. There's only one entry. Jesus is that door. There's only one door to this wisdom, this hidden secret wisdom of God. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. I used to use the cross and describe it as a, a bridge that, that helped us to cross a great chasm. I would think of the chasm that used to to be down when, when paradise was, was down in the earth where hell is. And, and there was a great chasm separating them. See, that's where paradise, where all the people who died believing for the Christ to come, who, who, who were good people, were waiting for the coming Messiah. They went and they waited in paradise. That's where Abraham was 
um, and then a, a great chasm separated him and them from from hell. And then when Jesus went down there, he preached to those. And then when he ascended, they were allowed to go in. No one could go into the presence of God in heaven until Jesus had come and atoned for our sins and went and placed his blood on the atonement seat in heaven, the real temple of God, not like the replica that Moses was shown in the desert and that was built by by uh, Solomon in, in Jerusalem, but, but the real one in heaven. Jesus entered in and put his blood on the mercy seat and then all of the believers were allowed to come on. Anyway, this is a, another message for another time. But this is the only way into this hidden wisdom, this this understanding of God's will and His ways, and uh, for us as Christians in Christ, as new believers, as as those who identify with Him in His death, in His burial, His resurrection. The cross is the only entrance. There's no circumnavigating this. You have to come, you have to humble yourself and repent of your old life. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come in and be your Lord and Savior. You have to believe this Easter message, this resurrection message, this fact that Jesus is alive and and ruling and reigning. And he wants nothing more than for you to know him and to, to come into his uh, protective covering and, and guidance and power and provision. Romans 8, I said that was it, but let me just look at this real quick with you. Romans chapter 8, which is the most beautiful, arguably the most beautiful uh, chapter in the Bible. So liberating and comforting. Romans 8, verses 28. Let's see, I think 28. Through 32, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Thank you, Lord. Those scriptures right there just sort of solidify everything we've been talking about here today. We identify with him. See, the point was he identified with us and all the wonderful things he accomplished by identifying with us in the wonderful exchange of the cross. Now, how do we identify with him and how do we walk it out? We identify with him by understanding and believing all of the exchanges that were made of the cross and then God bestows upon us everything that he has and everything that he is everything that Jesus has his entire inheritance in God is ours in Christ Jesus we are joint heirs with Christ as adopted children of God sharing in the same rights and privileges as Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to read one last scripture and then I'm closing. (laughs) Because I want to tie it all up with this. 
This is because of all that, with that fresh on your mind, everything he's done for us and everything we're called to do for him. Remember, he assigned us with a ministry just like the father assigned him with a task and a ministry to come here and do. He did it. He accomplished it perfectly and selflessly thinking of you, looking past the shame of the cross. He saw you and then he handed over a ministry to us, the church, to his children, his believers, not to use our words, not to do it in our strength, but to allow people to see him working and speaking through us. And Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, therefore, and I don't even have to go back to scripture because I just told you what the therefore is, based on everything he's done for us, all the love that he has for us, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The King James says your reasonable service, your reasonable act of worship. Do not, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? Through the washing of the water of the Word of God. Jesus became the Word made flesh. This Bible is Jesus without eyeballs. And I tell you, if you will meditate on the truths that we've talked about here today and let them compel you to dig even deeper into the truths of your new identity in Christ and that you will believe that more than you believe the things that you see and hear in this world, in this life, the spiritual, if you believe it in your soulish realm, it will become manifest in the natural realm. I guarantee it. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. People say, well, you you never know what God is up to, but that's not true. Ephesians uh, 5.10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. Well, that means that we can. And that's what this is saying. It's saying if we become, if we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ through the help of the Word and the Holy Spirit who is longing to come alongside you, to be the paraclete that comes alongside and guides and helps and empowers and protects and provides for you, then you will grow in this. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You will know what God's will is. You will not. You will become so full of the truth that you will not be able to stand the lie anymore. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thank you all. We love you. God bless you. I hope that this message has made the trip, as I always say, that it has made some impact on you and not just lulled you to sleep, but that these truths are what you're embracing and holding on to and that you will meditate on these and allow them to take root and bear fruit in your lives because they will help you. They will help you to be to walk in the new man, in the new identity in power and victory that God wants to heal you everywhere you hurt he wants to empower you he wants you to have revelation knowledge of his love and provision for your life 
In Jesus' name, I declare that you will receive these things. And as you do, you every step you take, you're going to be healthier. You're going to be more blessed. You can look for blessings upon blessings. I told my wife going into this COVID-19 shutdown thing, I said, we will, we will reap a greater harvest in this time of famine than ever before. And you know what? I... I have been so busy with my work. I never had to stop working. They called us essential. And my wife, thank God, she's been paid to be off. And we're we're blessed. And, and we're just standing on the truth and the promises of God. And I pray that you are. We're not going to... We decided in the beginning not to get into fear, not to get into doubt and unbelief, but to look for the good and to believe for great things. And we believe that revival is coming out out of this, and we hope that revival is going on in homes and families and relationships and marriages all around the world because of this. I know that the Bible bookshelves have been empty just like the toilet paper aisles have been, and that's a good thing. And so we know that the church is not just uh, is not a building, but it is you and me. It is the body of Christ who is made, which is made up of the believers in Jesus Christ, His children. And we love you wherever you are today. We love you, and I just speak a blessing of provision and health and peace and joy over you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that all those who hear this will receive it with joy and gladness and make it real in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.